0: I'm Dorianne Wheel. Welcome to Thrive with Dr. D. So it's my great pleasure on Thrive with Dr. D to welcome David Shapiro, who is pretty much a household name all over South Africa, associated with money, if there is such a thing, still. And uh, you're joining me on Thrive. I don't know if we should be calling it Thrive, David, in this time and age of just such unprecedented turmoil and anxiety. And uncertainty. Maybe we should call it survive instead of thrive. But I'm so pleased that you came um, onto the show because David, of course, is the go-to person for anything financial with regards to what's going on globally and in South Africa, and perhaps a little bit of what we can expect. But all I can say that in my role as a psychologist and really talking to a lot of people who are honestly just don't know where to turn and who are in crisis. I didn't expect that so much of the content and the predominant content of what they're anxious about and what is really throwing people is to do with their finances and their financial security going forward. You would think that in a time like this, you know, with the epidemic, they would be talking more about getting sick. And I mean, they certainly are. I think we're fairly compliant here in South Africa and doing relatively well, but they're talking much more about their anxiety regarding money. And I've even had people who are just so, so stressed and so frightened about the future that they've even spoken about not knowing and even not wanting to, to be able to carry on. It's as bad as that.
1: Sorry, it's, it's a very serious issue that, and I don't think anybody planned where we are now. Just I want to take a step back because how did we get into the situation and how we, will we avoid getting there again? You know, when I look at where, what's happening globally, and I'm not even talking from a business point of view, I'm just talking from a health point of view, one would never imagine that developed nations like the US, like Europe, Australia, you name it, would have ever gotten into a position like this where there was no planning whatsoever. And why I bring that up is because because there was no planning, no one has really gone through the issues that we're in at the moment. By saying gone through the issues and that, we just automatically say lockdown, uh, social confinement, distancing and so on, closed businesses. But you don't realize what the consequences of that are. And that's a very serious issue. yes, we try to protect the health of our people, which was the first priority. But what we didn't understand and what we still don't understand is what the economic consequences of doing this are. And that's why so many people are are feeling insecure because they can't see themselves out. I'll come to how we get ourselves out and what we should be doing and what governments should be doing. But I mean, that's my first take is that, Why are we in this situation? Why was there never any planning? You know, why did we have to use a Javits Center in New York as a hospital? I mean, these are countries that actually plan world wars. You know, what if we're invaded by X, Y, Z? How will we react? And yet, there was absolutely no planning on on this situation. So, of course, people are feeling insecure, not knowing what's next.
0: David, I'm just playing devil's advocate for a minute. Do you think... that it would have remotely been realistic to expect countries to anticipate and plan this. I mean, it seems to me that we literally kind of woke up. You know, I don't think that it was a gradual kind of thing. And when it started happening, perhaps it was, and we were dismissive and in denial about it. When it started happening, people were really underestimating the impact of it. And if you would have said, let's just say six months ago, look, the world has to plan for a global viral epidemic that is going to take out hundreds and thousands of people, they would have said, and then you woke up, or actually, what have you been smoking? So, Mm -hmm. I mean, do you think that there was any way of really being able to anticipate or plan just on the point that you've made?
1: Oh, absolutely. You know, after 08-09, which was a great financial crisis, at that stage, uh, banks were under a lot of pressure and, governments came in and propped up banks globally with America taking the lead. And every year since then, we have stress testing. So what is stress testing? We test whether the banks can withstand another financial crisis. So we do it every year. And we come out with a result saying that the banks are in great shape. But we've never done that with regard to public health. We've never said what happens if uh, we are in a situation. What happens if we have some calamity? Do we have enough? Uh, is there a plan at all? You know, is there, has there anything ever been written down that is a kind of a plan to respond to a situation? And no one, you know, there, there hasn't been a plan. And that's why we're bumbling around like we are at the moment, not knowing what to do. And if anybody's been caught out, it's President Trump who just sits there wide-eyed, not quite sure how to respond. And you can see his reaction to this. And it comes back to leaders. Says, no, being an administrator is absolutely the most boring job you ever want. There's no glamour in being uh, an administrator of a country. You know, Even in my situation, the last thing I want to do is be CEO of our business. I don't even want to be CFO. I don't want to be any director. I just like doing what I'm doing. Which is talking to clients about what's happening on the market. Why do I do that? Is because CEO is the most boring position on earth. You've got compliance issues. You've got all boring meetings, auditing meetings, you know, uh, remuneration committee meetings, and that. And that's what comes with the territory of being a president. Nobody wants to do boring things like you said, planning for a crisis or planning for um, something like that. So I think those things are going to change. You know. You're going to make sure that the next president we elect knows a lot about these things that can actually take us through a crisis.
0: We didn't plan for this. And so we definitely were caught out, tripped up in a big way, not equipped for it. And what is the reality? As I say, I knew and anticipated that people would be extremely anxious, fearful, uncertain about their financial future. But to the extent, David, where they're absolutely really, I mean, talk about not sleeping at night Mm -hmm. or not knowing where to turn. I mean, it's really dire across the board. Can you just give us an idea of, uh, because we didn't plan, what really has happened with these businesses that you're talking about, especially in South Africa, and your idea of are we walking the right path because we do have to protect the people on the one hand, but the cost is just enormous on the other.
1: Well, that's the whole process. What do we do? We go into lockdown. We close virtually the world. We turn off everything from sporting events to entertainment events to restaurants, you name it. We close it. But it's not what we don't consider is not only the secondary and tertiary effects of that, we close a restaurant. Most of these small businesses literally live from hand to mouth. Most of the people who work in restaurants, most of the people who work in the entertainment industry work from hand to mouth, literally on a contract-type basis. So when you close down for one week, it's okay. Two weeks, yeah. When you don't know how long we're going to be closed for, of course it starts to lead to anxiety. Uh, you close in shops, you know, and you have a whole series of shops around the country. Every one of those pays rent. Every one of those employs skilled people. Every one of those is, has got stock. And so all the supply chain, everything starts to fall apart, and everybody along that line feels insecure. We didn't plan for it. When I say we didn't plan for it, what we haven't planned for now and what we don't know <coughs> is when we're coming out. And Dory, that's why the anxiety is there. And this becomes the plan. We've got to start talking about how we're going to get out of this containment? How are we going to reduce containment so that we can start giving people some kind of hope down the line of when their businesses will be coming on? The informal sector is probably the most serious and the one we have to watch because those are the people who literally earn money in a day and feed themselves at night. After a couple of weeks of lockdown, they're going to, I think, just forget about the rules and just go about opening up their shabins, opening up their spases opening up their businesses and just carrying on normal simply because of the absolute need to feed their stomachs. We've got to be aware of that. It's going to happen. It's going to happen within a week or two. I don't think we'll be able to keep them locked down. So we've got to start planning for what's going to be eventuality. And I'm talking about South Africa, but it could equally apply around the world.
0: If you were, say, Cyril Ramaphosa, knowing what you know and you could plan for it, what would you say, knowing what you know, should happen in
1: the next while? We've got to have a deadline. We've got to know when this is going to end. And then we've got to start planning on how we're going to end it. In other words, what businesses we're going to be bringing online first, like the mines. We can't... This country can least afford not to have the mines. We can least afford not to have factories. So we've got to start saying, okay, we're going to bring on the factories first. We've got to bring on the mines first. These are the consequences of that. you know. And uh, it's going to, yeah, it's going to cause hardship because it's going to still spread the virus. But we've got to start planning for that as well for an increased number of cases and infections. I think most importantly, we've got to keep older people out of this. And I think this is those that are vulnerable our testing has to increase dramatically, you know, as we do this. I'm not, I'm as bamboozled as everybody is. And, you know, you've caught me kind of off guard and say, okay, you're sort of ramaphosa, what would you do? Oh, no, I'm asking the tough questions, Dave. I we know. that long time. <laughs> but I, I but understand what I'm trying to say is that you've got to give people some kind of hope. What's very interesting and what is particularly interesting is I'm watching markets now. And I'm watching global markets, you know U.S markets, in fact, our markets also up. I'm watching U.S markets take off. They're very, very strong. And why are they strong? And this comes back to the point we've been talking, is that news of the infection rates flattening out, starting to, to get into the system. In other words, no, we haven't got on top of it, but there is evidence that things are not increasing at the pace that they were, uh, mm. even. York, the death rates are going. So these are all possible factors that you can see are starting to give people a little bit of hope. The next problem comes whether or not all the government subsidies, all the government stimulus packages will start flowing through into the system and that people who need money will be getting money. And that's the next thing we have to ensure in this country as well, that everybody who needs money and the money is there, we can get the money, is getting it and that they've been able to feed themselves and they, they're starting to feel, you know, even if they're borrowing the money, at least money has been given to them that they can use to buy food and so on. So You say
0: the money is there, whereas, you know, just the kind of the word in the street, is South Africa was not doing very well. There'd been these downgrades and so on. Even before this, the kind of perception of the layman is that there isn't the money. And you say the money is there and it's really a matter of getting the money to the people.
1: Where is the money? There is money. Let's put it this way. The banks have got money. <laughs> Industry's got money. Private individuals have got money. It's actually a loosening that, uh, those pockets and letting it flow into the system. The problem is that where we're concerned is that the transmission mechanisms are very, very slow. And that, to me, is an issue. From a personal point of view, I would rather know that somebody is out of pocket and is in finding desperate time. I would rather go to that person personally and say, "Here, yeah, there's the money, don't give it back. When you can give it back, you give it back But get through this period. What I'm trying to say is that we need to get to it fast. I was looking at the Rupert money. You know, he's put a billion rand aside for to go into various companies, et cetera. There's been something like, I don't know how many thousands of applications. now. You can't go through those applications because to get through every application and to say this person deserves it, this person doesn't. By the time we've gone through that, everybody's stopped dead. So we've got to find a way to actually, like social grants, get money to the people, and then
0: mm. I'm not we in a position cut down I'm, all the bureaucracy and the
1: layers yep, and all that yep, and do exactly. it much more immediately. That's the yep. point. That's my frustration. Is and it doesn't. do worry. It doesn't only apply here. It applies in America as well. It applies in most countries. How are we going to get that money that has been set aside, the $2 trillion that have been set aside in the U.S., how are we going to get it to the people, not we, how is America going to get it to those people? And likewise here, how are we going to get all this money that people are promising to the people who desperately need it? And probably first quarter call is those who are actually starving and need the money to buy food. Then come the businesses, you know, What's important is we have to make sure that those businesses that we close down, and I say we because this is unusual, this is not a typical um, slump, we've closed the global economy down. We've got to make sure that those businesses survive and that they don't fall. I know? wanted
0: to ask you, um, I'm actually kind of involving you right now as as a bit of a colleague. I need your help in terms of what can I say And what sort of reassurance, I obviously, or I hope, I know how to calm people down. Mm. But if the reality is such that it's kind of not calmable, some of it is platitudes, like we're going to get out of this and, you know, give it time and the markets will recover. You know, they're kind of more hopeful statements than perhaps reality statements. I have to help people hold the space. And stay connected and talk, in terms of what they're going through now. But what is realistic to say to these people who tell me, "Look, you know, just um, I was in maybe in some trouble before. I've lost everything now. I've even put my house on surety. Can't mm. see any way forward. You know, I don't know what to tell them." And I'm asking okay. you, what do you what what underscores
1: some hope? Okay, this slump, what we're going through is a health issue. It is not a financial issue. Okay, that's important. This is health. And this will pass. The virus will work its way out the system. Is it going to be two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, five weeks? We don't know. That's it. But this is not a year. So we can keep reducing. It's not going to be a year. It's not going to be nine months. It's not going to be six months. So it's, come, it's, it's maximum of three months or thereabouts. When I say this is not financial, it means that the global economy is still in a good shape. The banks are still strong. The governments, global governments are still strong. South Africa might be in a slightly weaker position, but we can borrow money. We have got the access to those funds. So what we're getting through is only is a couple of months at the most. And we've got to ensure that we can actually bridge ourselves through that. So we've got to get through no more than a few weeks before we start getting back to normal and before uh, we start seeing social interaction and so on. And I think you're going to see that globally. Once hospitals can cope with a number of cases and people can start walking around again, knowing that they, if they need care, they can get care, I think suddenly spirits will come up
0: at the end of almost every email or whatsapp that you get people just say stay positive stay positive sometimes i mean it's always a very good intention sometimes what i find that means is when you start talking about your fear or even your loneliness in isolation, or your anxiety going forward, people say, no, 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 no! don't talk about that, just stay positive, yep. stay positive. No. That actually is not what we're talking about at all. We're talking about that you absolutely have to lean into the discomforts of the reality now. And the thing to do to get it under control, actually, to get those feelings in control is to talk about it, because what you resist tends to persist. You can't, You have to own the story. That's the reality Mm -hmm. now. But what Mm -hmm. you're talking about is something different, which I think is important to highlight. You're talking about optimism, realistic optimism, that this too shall pass. Mm -hmm. And the way you're talking about it is with conviction, that this Mm -hmm. too shall pass. And we have to ride the storm out with it now. But we do see some light at the end of the tunnel, which aren't the proverbial lights of an oncoming train. I think that's what you are (laughs) Saying and reassuring people about.
1: Okay. Mm. So,
0: can I just ask you something else? What about the people in view of what you're saying? And I guess they're not that many, but there are some. So we can talk to them as well to say, well, you know, in some sense, from a financial point of view at least, can we capitalize on this? Are there investment?
1: Oh, geez! Yeah. Oh, enormously. You know, that that's my focus. From the minute this took place, I've been focusing on. Okay. What's going to happen when this dies down? What are the industries that are going to benefit from this issue? And there are a number. As uh, when I started talking, we spoke about the, the health industry. Health is never going to be the same. Hygiene is never going to be this, as it was. It's going to change. Toilets, you know, when I say toilets, are going to be spotless. Planes. When you fly in from Durban, when, when the plane flies in from Durban to Durban, people get off. Believe me, they're not just going to come in with a vacuum cleaner. They're going to come and desanitize that whole plane. So if you think about it, those people who are providing those services are going to benefit. From a public health point of view, we cannot afford not to have health accessible to people, everybody, because anybody can spread it. It doesn't matter. It, there is no class when this comes to spreading. So we You're have
0: an organizer, isn't it, Dave? Totally. I mean, suddenly we are all in this together. It doesn't discriminate.
1: Totally. That's the point. You don't want to have hospitals where people have to wait the whole day to be taken care of. So globally we're gonna to have to look at the whole health system. I know President Trump was against affordable health and he beat up uh, President Obama. But we we need that. There are, I don't know how many million, 28 million, I think, in the US, I don't know the exact figure, who can't afford health care. So they're walking around. The last thing they want to do is not be able to go to work because the the money is so important to them. So they will take their sickness into the workplace. We don't want that to happen again.
0: So we can't afford not to have affordable health care.
1: No. There isn't a distinction. We can't afford not to. Exactly, yeah. and that, yeah. so that's going to change. The other thing is drug companies. There's been a lot of pressure on drug companies because of their overcharging and gouging and so on. I'm not protecting them and I'm not defending them, but we need those scientists. We need those drug companies, big ones, to make money so that they've got the scientists and chemists to actually be able to respond quickly to issues like this. So we need constant research and development. We need equipment. We need fast testing. So all I'm doing is throwing out opportunities now. We need diagnostic machines. You can't afford to wait two weeks to be tested or a week to be tested. And we need speedy testing of people. So diagnostic machines. And then we get on to something completely different. Just look at this. We're talking on Zoom. Thank goodness for those companies that we've loved to beat up. Facebook, Amazon, uh, Google. You know, too big, too powerful. Thank goodness for them because they provided the platforms that have allowed us to actually survive in this very, very difficult time. And they have not let us down in the sense that they haven't broken up. They've been able to maintain and hold the traffic. So they're going to get more powerful. The way that they store data, the way that they transmit data, are all going to change. And we've learned so much from this little episode in terms of what we can do and what skills we do have. So I'm just touching on a few points. There are enormous opportunities that are gonna come out of this.
0: You know, Dave, I mean, ages ago, uh, when I say ages ago, millions of years ago, the Chinese, when the language was actually developed, there's the same symbol, they say danger, some people call it crisis, but the same symbol, double symbol for crisis means opportunity. And maybe they knew something, you know, that embedded or inside or side by side or whatever it is. The crisis that we're going through is absolutely huge, is tremendous and devastating, just loss of life. I mean, every day, we the opportunities that you're talking about is coming out of it, just mm-hmm. coming out of it a little bit differently, more mindfully about the fact that we are all in this together, connected members of the human race. It's definitely going to be less partisan. And I think that as you said from your point of view, there are some huge opportunities. If one just listens very carefully to what you're saying, you didn't actually name the companies. I don't know if you can or if you can't, but you did name the industries. And I think that you've given some people who are in the position to take some advantage. And for the people who are not in that position, you have also offered them hope to say, listen. You know, we can't say exactly. There are probably going to be casualties along the way. It might be that people take a lot of time to recover if ever. There might be people who don't. But you've also put out a call to everyone to please, you know. It's just the way that you can use reserve funds now is through compassion and through assistance. And if you're not going to get it back financially, you're probably going to get it back in many, many other ways. And so I think that you have reminded us of the, the human side of it and given us a lot of information about the financial side of it, Dave. So I don't know if you'd like to close with a few points
1: that you want people to dwell on. Sorry, I've been on the stock market for nearly 50 years. And I've been through, I counted up eight major crises, three minor crises. The emotions are all the same. You know, the circumstances are slightly different. Some last longer, some are quicker. But having been through them, you recognize the emotions and you recognize the fear. And the good thing is that we come through these things, strangely enough. It makes us tougher. It makes us resilient. And it also shakes shakes you up. Uh, it makes you think. And uh, I think this is going to be another one of those episodes. And I think oh. that I really mean, you know, when I say that, I'm not sitting at home and worrying and biting my nails and that. I'm looking at the industries. I'm saying, where am I going after this? <laughs> in other words, you know, I'm not interested in the all the information that we've got that this is going to fall 30% and this is going to happen. What I'm looking for is where can we make value? where can we take opportunity out
0: of this sure, well you have given us a lot of ideas and those ideas have been factual ideas that have been couched in a lot of hope and that's what people need right now, all of us and so I thank you so much for that Dave and I thank you all for listening to Thrive with Dr. D it's a jackpot podcast see you next time, bye bye I'm Dorianne Wheel you've been listening to Thrive with Dr. D